welcome to another episode of Let's Talk About Thrones, where we are going to uh, talk about Game of Thrones, because that's what we what? do. What? I thought we were talking about Star Wars. Oh, no, 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 no. That's that's another amazing podcast that you do, Jenny. Uh, that was Jenny. And Richard, how are you today? <laughs> <laughs> I am doing well. I'm glad that we are all back together again because in this space and time continuum where we record these, it has been much longer than the space and time continuum between you listening to these. Maybe that maybe that, that that's that's shifty because of my production schedule. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so today we are we're going to talk about episodes three hundred three and three hundred four. Uh, two amazing episodes. Um, hold on, I had the title: "A Walk of Punishment" and "And Now His Watch Is Ended." Mm. And we are back, Richard, to the pairings. The episodes matching up together very well. Yeah, perfectly, perfectly. And um, Jenny, uh, I'm sure you remember these episodes are the. I, I don't know of two episodes that foreshadow more than these two episodes do. I know. Like, and um, any episode that starts with Barris and Selmy just makes me so happy. <laughs> like, I really am a fan of Barris and Selmy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's like he, Grandpa Grandpa Westeros. He, he's the honorable guy that didn't have his honor completely ripped away from him by way of, yeah. of beheading. Um, this episode starts out, okay, let's go ahead and get Riverrun out of the way. Can we do that? Because Riverrun yeah, yeah, is... Yeah, just real quick, real quick. Yeah. Uh, funeral, like I am, I don't, I don't even know how to explain this. There's some disappointment with... He an, missed the boat. It's he, easy. He did. He missed, he the missed boat. it completely. Like this, <laughs> but in the books, it talks about how it leads up to it even because it's, it says like, this is a point of honor to be the person that, that, that toss, that, 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 that launches the arrow to ignite the, uh, the carn or whatever as it floats down the river is like this point of honor like the, you, you should be honored to have this position and he buffs it three times like psh, done that was amazing i loved it i i forgot that scene existed what's funny is i kind of expected that to happen even before it happened like I, when he was shooting it i'm like yeah this isn't gonna go the way it's supposed to <laughs> and then twice again and the other guy comes in he pushes him out of the way shoots it without even really looking <laughs> and he's dead on yeah, and that's just that just goes to show what the Tullys are all about. They're about precision and they're about uh, uh, tradition. Um, and then it goes into uh, Catelyn doing her little cry thing about how she misses her sons and she'll never see them again. And they're basically you, you don't know that. Okay, so Riverrun. Uh, oh, well, well, one other thing: Rob Stark finally acts like a king and shows his disappointment in his people in that. Oh, you decided to raid this mill, but what did you get out of the mill? You didn't get you didn't get the mountain. Um, but you lost 200 people that we could be using somewhere else. And if you hadn't lost those 200 people, he'd still be at the mill where we could have trapped him if you just followed my directions, but you didn't. So that was awesome. Yeah. I mean, Rob is coming into his own for sure. Minus, you know, some bad decisions. Yeah. <laughs> just, just one, really. <laughs> just one. <laughs> just, just one. The only one that matters. Um, mm-hmm. And then can can we can can I lead into the this next scene because this next scene is what I refer to as the game of chairs. <laughs> Tywin is seated at the at the the table in the chamber of the the small council. It's actually like moved to his quarters um, into his like antechamber. Varys and Littlefinger, Cersei, Tyrion, they all show up. And don't forget Grand Maester, whatever uh, insignificant is. And Grand Maester Flash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My job's just going to be to be a jerk today. So, so they all go in, and, he, and, and of course, Tywin is already seated at the head of the table. And uh, Varys goes in. I think it's Varys sits next to him. Then Littlefinger sits next to him. And they all try to be as close to him as possible, you know. Uh, Cersei walks in and there's only two chairs left. She grabs one chair from the other end of the table, drags it around to be at the literal right <laughs> hand of her father. And then that just leaves Tyrion and Tyrion goes in there, grabs the chair and actually puts it at the foot of the table and is like, what's up? And like, it's, it's this, 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 this five minute scene of no dialogue, or at least it didn't start with any dialogue. And it's just amazing. Like this whole story is told right there. 
Um, a beautiful scene, and it's got it all the wonderful. best players. It's got like you can see the expressions on Littlefinger's face. Like, what the hell is going on here? Uh, Varys kind of has the expression of, "Oh, this is how we're going to play this game today." Okay. <laughs> and of course, it is it is decided that uh, uh, Littlefinger will go to the uh, to the ear and become master of the Vale by marrying hmm. Lisa Lisa um, Aaron. Lysa Aaron, right? L- Lysa, yes. They Lysa all call Aaron. her Lysa. Yeah. Which I find confusing. Right. Um, I my ex wife's name is Lisa, and she's just as crazy. So it kind of it, like it just <laughs> fits in with me. Um, that the whole I've scene so much. Yeah, the whole scene where uh, where he's telling Littlefinger, "Okay, you're going to go and become Master of the Vale," you know, uh, Lord of the Vale or whatever. Uh, I got the creeps then, like the 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 foreshadowing began, and I was just like, "Ew." Ooh, all of that. Ooh. And yeah. Thoughts on that, Richard? How did, how did you see that meeting going other than the game of chairs? I tell you, I, I just couldn't get past the chairs. I, <laughs> this was Tyrion doing what he does best. He stole a scene and he didn't say a word until, like you said, like five minutes in. It was, it was just so wonderful that this is the scene that I take out of this entire episode. I <laughs> loved it so much. I kind of missed the significance of most of the dialogue that the council was having because mm. it just seemed like it didn't live up. Mm. Mm. Yeah, there was a uh, oh man, so much, so much foreshadowing with this. Because so many things are going to go. And it's hard for me. Again, you know, they're talking about a bunch of people. Oh, well, you're going to go do this with these people and do this with this name. And I'm like, who? Yeah. I don't even know who you're talking about. Like, what's the significance of that? I don't know. Yeah. Lysa Aaron is the the hand of the king that was dead at the very beginning of the episode one. Lysa Aaron is his wife or his widow. And she's returned back to the veil uh, where the, the sky cells were. Where Tyrion almost rolled out and, and fell to his death. Okay. So that's where Littlefinger is being sent. Good point, though, because we haven't heard anything about Lysa since, since then, since the beginning of season two. I don't understand or why I didn't remember that. Middle of season one, whenever that was. Um, okay, then we cut to uh, the, the oh, what is it, the name of this, this little inn in the middle of the road. Oh, the inn of the plot points. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we are in a, a version five, I think, of this little inn uh, uh, in, the, in the middle of the continent uh, where uh, Gendry and Arya are leaving and Hot Pie is like, oh, I'm going to stay here. They traded me away because I can cook for all the meals that the, the men without banners have eaten, which I thought. And was I'm going to make, wait for it, wait for it, Hot Pie. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he, he 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 makes a, uh, a a pastry of sorts that's supposed to look like a wolf, but it clearly does not. It looks like basically a blob monster, and um, whatever. Apparently, it tasted good. And uh, he, hot pie is so detail oriented that he actually says, uh, "I hope you get, make it back to Winter Hall." So that's that's where that's where Hot Pie's mind is at. He, Clearly he, destined to be a cook. Yeah, yeah he's all about not the pastries. Not a master strategist. Yeah, yeah. He keep, <laughs> <laughs> share the food, not the word. Uh, <laughs> and then we cut over to the fist of the first men, and this time the Northerners, the the uh, the, the the wildlings, have gone to the fist of the first men, and they are. They, they discover something. Richard, what, would you disco- describe what they discover there in the snow at the Fist of the First Men? I, I want to know how much you caught of this. I wrote it down as a display of horse parts. I mean, I didn't know how else to describe it. The, so they, they come up across the, the path where the, uh, the, the crows were, and they have essentially slaughtered all their horse. The, 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 the White Walkers have slaughtered all the horses and displayed them in this spiral. And this is the spiral means something. And, and I'll tell you right now, Richard, even now at the end of whatever season we're at, we still don't know what the spiral signifies specifically. There's still an air oh, wow. of mystery about it. But the spiral, this is the second time we've had the spiral because the first time was remember in the first episode, the human body parts were set in a spiral with all the corpses kind of displayed out in this in this formation. So 
Hmm. Okay. Go Always ahead, the artists. <laughs> but they keep right. I remember line. that line. They, they keep painting the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> this time we're going to do it on canvas. And this time we're going to make it uh, body parts. Uh, so yeah, it's always the same. This time with babies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Speaking of the the crows, we find them back at Craster's Keep. And this series of scenes is is some of my favorite. It was it was fun to read in the books. And it goes down essentially the same way in the show. It's very true to life uh or true true to word uh, representation. And Craster's not very happy to have the crows there. Mm. They're hungry. Because. They have no food. They're running from the White Walkers. And now they're trying to hunker down for the winter. Because they have injured men. Amongst all the. Amongst all the. Ladies. All the ladies. All the daughters. Yeah. All, all of the daughter wives. <laughs> yeah. Is it daughter so wife or wife? For being like know. one man with 800 daughter wives. He's one, like 100 men. With eight hundred daughter wives, that is not a good yeah. thing for him. Right, and, and and the crows are there. They're they're basically there to uh, to heal up because they have people that are injured from the fight, and they've got you know some some people to bury, and they're they're horseless, of course, because we just we know where their horses are. They're they're Art Deco now, <laughs> and so they're trying to hunker down and heal up. And Craster is rationing food apparently very stringently. Mm-hmm. So. They're hungry. They want the food and the ladies. And eventually that turns out to be more than, than the situation can handle. They, and that, that actually, that, like that transpires in the second episode, in right. in episode four, really. Uh, in, in a really interesting scene. I don't know if you want to get into that now or if you want to kind of continue oh, yeah, we can, we through can ahead, chronologically. We can go ahead and wrap this, wrap this scene up. Uh, the whole thing between the two episodes. Okay, so first of all, I'm trying to think of basically they're they're fed up with the way they're being treated, mm-hmm. and we also have a scene between here, and I think this is important uh, between the scene where they come back to Craster's Keep and the scene where they kind of confront him. There's also this scene between Samwell and one of the daughter wives, specifically the one that he had met last time. Gilly. Gilly. And so she's giving birth. Mm -hmm. It's a boy. She wants help. She asks if he can help her. And we don't get an answer yet, but then we cut out at a later point to all of them talking around a fire, kind of saying, you know, they're, they're, this is a, a shit situation. He's taking advantage of us. He's, he, you know, this guy is no good. And then they end up in a confrontation with him. And it's really Tanner. And I don't, should I remember Tanner from other scenes? He's just the consummate dick. He's the guy that was that was messing with um, with uh, with Sam when he was, you know, calling him too fat to continue. We should just eat him. Oh. He's, he's the one that was, right. he was okay. yeah, all the way back to like the kitchens when he was starting shit in the kitchens um, back at uh, 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 at the wall. Um, he's always been the, the, the antagonizer, antagonizer of Sam. And now he's just well, pushing I, that forward to other people. Yeah. I mean, interestingly enough, he's he's really the antagonizer in this situation. And he confronts it. It is it, it is uh, Craster. Is that. Him himself, who yeah. uh, well, was Craster starts it by saying that uh, you should not need to stop looking at my daughters and this and that. Like the, he gets, oh, yeah, he yeah, gets yeah, all, yeah. all all affronted about that, and then Mormont pulls uh, Tanner out and says, "Hey, you need to knock it off, or whatever else." Then on the way back in, Craster says something again, and then Tanner goes and stabs the the old man, and that really just starts the whole riot, and it goes crazy from there. And Sam decides, "Hey, now's a good time to cut out and go get Gilly." Hmm. Yep. And and I really loved that whole thing because I, 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 maybe I am just missing who's on what side, but in all of these scenes where they've been with the old guy in Craster's Keep, I've been trying to understand in my head, like, what power does he have? What support does he have? Why is it 
that there isn't an uprising against him. So as Tanner was kind of ready to antagonize or was antagonizing him before he actually attacks him, I thought, well, why don't they just take him? I mean, how hard would that be, really? Just take him the hell out. I mean, the same can be said of, of any uprising against any singular leader. You know, do you dare actually pull the trigger and go ahead and, and attack him and take care of it and then handle the situation yourself? I, I don't I don't know that anybody defaults to that action, but eventually the, the, the pressure mounts and, and once uh, once he he stabs old Jorah Mormont in the in the ribs or whatever, it they, there's no there's no going back from that. So everybody just takes advantage and. Uh, those that are loyal fight against those that aren't. It's kind of just a big mess. Um, and yeah, the, the big takeaway from all of it is that Sam gets away with Gilly. I liked it. It's fun to see how a seemingly simple uh, situation where you're like, well, they could just take the food. Like, why are they honoring this, this, this Craster's jerk? Yeah. Why, why, why are they like letting him rule how they do it? They could just take it and then the honorable thing is to, you know, you're in a, in another man's house. You, you let them set the rules. But once that tension reaches that boiling point, it completely collapses. Mm-hmm. So. And I was kind of glad because, you know, he was an ass. <laughs> I like to see bad people get theirs. Um, speaking of bad people getting theirs, the next thing we see is Theon uh, making an escape. Good old Theon Greyjoy. From mm. here, everything is up. <laughs> <sighs> well, now, maybe not. Now, now, Richard, we told you that Theon was eventually like like karma. Karma visits Theon um, pretty 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 he- heavily handed. Um, he gets away, and then of course this goes into the next episode again. But uh, again, this, these are two episodes that kind of blend in together. They're they're a matched pair. Um, what did you think of the whole Theon getting away? Uh, how, how much of that ride were you taken on? Okay, so I fell for everything. So we have this situation where this guy, I don't know who this guy is, but this guy is supposedly rescuing him, lets him go, puts him on a horse, says ride. He gets caught by... Some other guys. I don't mm. know who these other guys are. I don't know if we've seen them before or what, but they look like they're going to have their way with him. Mm. And in comes nice guy that we've never seen before to rescue Theon again. And we get this incredibly... I, what, what was the word that I used? Because I want to make sure I get this right out of my notes. I said, Theon has a moment of contrition with the kid who is supposedly saving him. Mm. But we find out he just took him back to where he had come from. <laughs> what was the point of letting him go at all? <laughs> Oh, I'm so excited for you. I'm so excited for you. As this <laughs> as this mini plot plays out, you haven't gotten to the point where you're just like, "Oh my god." Yet. And it'll that'll come because it at the point where the where the second episode, you know, the 304 stops um with the Theon story is where Theon is recaptured and he is thoroughly completely confused on what's going on, who his captors are, who his saviors are, and what their whole relationship between all three of them is. And yeah, I'm glad to see that that took hold and you are sitting right there with them because that is a beautiful thing to watch. And it, the, the clarity will come, but man, it, it's, it's going to be fun to see. At uh, a cost. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah uh, Theon might have just... Might might should not have fought so hard on the ground. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Okay. That was just that was weird. That was very weird. I don't quite understand what was going on there. I'm I'm glad he didn't either because that makes me feel a little bit better. Mm. Mm. Okay. Uh, you you had uh, skipped a quick scene before this that I thought was just kind of intriguing and and I of course liked it because. Uh, Tyrion was involved, and this is where Tyrion basically gives Pod a gift. 
Uh, yes, that is, uh, so Pod is accompanying Tyrion as Tyrion is getting the, the ledgers, the, 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 the nation's ledgers, the kingdom's ledgers from, uh, Littlefinger because he is now master of coin. He is now the, the kingdom's, um, treasury secretary, essentially. Tyrion, Pod, and Braun, and they're in there. They start pulling all, all, all these records and right before they go to leave, Tyrion is like, Pod, you've been a, a loyal servant, and here's a gift for you. And he basically gives him, he he's prepaid or whatever, four women. Pod's never been with a woman, so he's very nervous. He's very confused about the whole thing. Later on, Tyrion and Bronn are talking about stuff, as they do, how it's a conspiracy, how the kingdom is actually broke, and they owe all this money to the uh, to the... The the bank uh, of uh, the bank of the undying or whoever they are. Yeah, the the bank of we own the world. Um, the Iron Bank. The Iron Bank. Uh, they own all, they owe all this money, like like tens of millions of gold to the Iron Bank. So eventually, someone's going to you know have to collect that. Well, Pod returns and he hands back the money that Tyrion had paid for the girls with. And Braun and Tyrion are like, why? And he said, well, they didn't charge. <laughs> and that becomes a, becomes a study session for Braun and Tyrion on, what did you do? <laughs> right, because it was, and again, I love the scene with Tyrion. And Tyrion's like, you're going to have to sit down and tell us what happened in great detail. <laughs> Um, this is one of the scenes where, uh, Sterling laughed out loud. Like she laughed because she, she, she doesn't like awkward situations like this. So when it's made even more awkward by this whole, oh my God, we got to know she just went completely crazy and she was laughing so long. I had to pause the show <laughs> for her to calm down. So we continue the show. Um, this is one of the, one of those great moments of, of comic relief where it takes you by surprise and it provides you a genuine insight into the characters. And I, I enjoyed it. And that's it. That's where they leave it. Yeah. So we don't get to find out what happened, which is <laughs> kind of interesting. I had forgotten this scene actually happened. I remember the first part of it, but I had forgotten the second part. And uh, yeah, that was, that was interesting. Um, okay. So the end of the third episode, we are looking at uh, Brienne and Jamie are in captivity. Jamie is telling Brienne about how she's going to be treated and whether she should fight it or let it happen. Or, you know, if she wants to live, she should let it happen. If she, if, if she wants a, a, a slow, but uh welcome death after being raped by multiple men, then she should go ahead and fight it. And they, the, the men that are holding them come take Brienne off into the woods. And Jamie starts using his wordsmithing to get the ear of their leader and basically lies for Brienne saying, oh, she's from the Sapphire Islands. You know why they call it Sapphire Islands, right? Because the, the, that's where every Sapphire in, in Westeros has come from. But you won't get anything of that from her father if, if she's tarnished or whatever. And basically saves Brienne from being raped. And he is rewarded immediately. Yes. Yeah. Yes, he is. He is let go from his chains and promptly loses a hand. His right hand. His sword hand. His sword sword hand. hand. And this puts Jamie in a a depression death spiral, essentially, where he's he's not bothering getting himself up out of the mud. His hand is actually in in a necklace wrapped around his neck, constantly reminding him that he lost his hand as if he needs another reminder. Yeah. Yeah, and at one point he does try to fight with his, his left hand because he, he steals a sword, and that doesn't turn out very well. He basically gets his, his face kicked in the in the mud, literally. Yeah, whereas at the end of episode three, they're more or less being abusive to Brienne and giving her all the crap. <laughs> That ends with his hand getting cut off. And then in episode four, it's Jamie who's getting all the crap. And Brienne is sticking up for him now. Right. And trying to get them to take it easy on him. And we get, again, some more kind of desperate conversation between the two where 
the reverse is in place now where instead of Jamie telling Brienne, hey, you need to do this if you want to survive, it's the other way around. Right. Yeah, they're starting to treat each other cool. like teammates. They're Yeah. Uh, it's almost it's almost siblings because of the way they, they, there's no genuine like there's not a, a romantic affection between the two of them but they they're starting to understand each other and starting to really have a, a bigger concept of of who they are other than just the mission that they were on. Um, wait, is this so? What comes next? Is the Brotherhood without banners? Can I summarize that? Um, yeah, if you'd like, I can summarize it in three words. <laughs> Boring, boring, boring. <laughs> there you go. On to the next scene. This is this is one of those things that now now that we've seen where the story's gone, unless there's a major change coming, this scene is completely unnecessary. Boring. Yeah. Boring. Boring. It's it's the the only the only good thing about it is that it shows the beginning of the the relationship between Arya and the Hound and how it has kind of shifted to where Arya is seeing a little bit different side of him. Other than that, like this is 15 minutes of time completely wasted for the story. Yep. Yeah. And I was a little bit lost. I'm like, okay, well, why are they being decent to Arya, but they've captured Bronn? Yeah. Or or they captured the Hound. Yeah. Like I didn't understand what the hell was going on. And the only thing that I think kind of makes any of those scenes, because this transpires across way too much time and multiple scenes, is where we finally have Arya saying, wait a minute, you did kill someone. You killed that guy back in such and such. Mm. And the Brotherhood's like, well, we don't know anything about it, so we can't try you. So you'll be you'll have to have a trial by combat fight or something like or yeah. by combat. Yeah. Okay. All right, whatever. I I just don't understand what the point of any of that was. Yeah. Uh later on it'll foreshadow some things, but this is really just is complete fodder. Um so let's get back to Tyrion, shall we? Because Tyrion and Varys have a very interesting conversation while Tyrion, while Varys is getting his mail. And losing it. Oh, oh, so to speak. Yes. <laughs> that that, that, that uh, in the industry we call that a double entendre, Richard. <laughs> yes, yes. So, ah, yeah. So that was, you know, I was having trouble kind of following exactly what was going on here. Mm. Tyrion is going to Varys for help or advice or something like that. I, I I found that a little bit odd because I didn't think that he really trusted Varys. And then Varys confides in him, basically, you know, his worst, his worst life experience and what he did about it. Oh, and what he did about it is there's a dead guy living under his floorboards. Um, okay, so that was that was a crate he had oh, just but received. Not dead. Yeah, he's he's not dead. He that's a crate he received. Um, oh, great. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Thus checking the mail. Um, and it's got it. <laughs> but it's, essentially, it tells the story of how Varys lost his manhood, and the and you come to the realization that the person in the box that he's he's prying open this box is that that wizard quote unquote that took his manhood threw it in the flames and hurt and and gave him voices and things and this is actually yeah, uh, by, this, by the way t- taking his manhood isn't about deflowering it's about destamining yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is this is the story of how Varys became a eunuch and it it plays out it, it this this is another scene that foreshadows but it doesn't play out until the latest episode, so season, what were we on, Jenny? Season seven. Season seven. Yeah, yeah. when it, when it finally when you finally <laughs> get the the payoff for this this foreshadowing. Um, another really interesting scene, though. This is this is uh, uh, Varys and Tyrion developing a bit of a trust, a bit of a relationship, almost a friendship, by sharing this story and and welcoming Tyrion into Varys's world just a little bit, and that becomes really important later on. And then we have the three-eyed raven. Another scene where Bran is dreaming 
even knowing where this goes, I still don't like it. I still think it's just... It's a bird. It's a mage. It's skippable. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Every single one of these, I'm like, oh, okay, he's having a dream again. Yay. This... There's probably some meaning in here I should care about. I don't. For all the time it spends building up this th- this twist in the storyline, the payoff is so minor. It would have been just the same had all these little foreshadowing moments not taken place. It's it's a, it's a sad bit of every time I see one of these, I'm just like ah oh, again. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I have an idea. L- let's talk about Marjorie. And Joffrey. <laughs> By all means, some, Sir Richard. What about Marjorie? There's some fun going on here. <laughs> yeah. Those two ha- are starting to build a, a bit of a strange relationship. So I think Joffrey is in the position where he believes that this woman's wisdom and the love that the people have for her is going to be a strength and work to his advantage. And Cersei sees that what's really happening is Marjorie has figured out how to control Joffrey mm. and she still can't. Yeah. She's, she's playing I, I Joffrey. Concern. She's playing, she's, she's playing <laughs> Joffrey and only Cersei sees it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, that in Lana Tyrell, this, but. <laughs> and there was this great moment where she's like, oh, listen to the people out there. Let's go out and see the people. They love you. They want to see you. Mm. And I really thought this was going to end badly. I kind of wanted it to end badly. But they were more they were there and excited to see her, mm-hmm. not him. And he seemed like. Oh, wow. They love her. Great. But I don't think that's what's going on there. Yeah. Uh, This is mm, I I, I love these scenes because this is the only the only time so far that we've seen Joffrey not in not not in tantrum control of of what's going on. He's actually being played. Marjorie's actually, you know, controlling him in in subtle ways not not stopping him from doing anything but she's riding along on his more demented ideas and then bringing it around and kind of just wrapping him up in her little envelope of of influence and moving forward with it and as she encloses joffrey in her envelope cersei is further losing hers and while that's happening cersei and marjorie's grandmother are conversing and getting to know each other better. Hmm. And I'm sure there was some significance to some of that conversation, but I almost thought of that as background fodder, an intentional distraction. Hmm. Lady Tyrell is playing Cersei the same way Marjorie is playing Joffrey. It's the the Tyrells are, are master manipulators in, in many ways. And they are they're completely winning the game right now. They're very far ahead. Good. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, they were actually making wedding plans. They were planning the wedding in the sept, is which uh, is what the original idea behind the scene was. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So Jenny, you're being very quiet about this. You know, this is one of those episodes that I I don't like. <laughs> I there's like uh, what happens like so we talked about what happened to Theon already but like what happens to Theon is something I never want to think about again mm. uh and I I I do like the stuff with Varys and Olena which you know fine but like it's just this is one of those like second time around placeholder episodes for me except maybe a little bit what's going on with Daenerys Targaryen cuz it's like oh and we will talk about that critical moment you know Mm. but otherwise i'm just like um you know the part of the the trip that's not very exciting but you have to do it anyway like the five this is like the five in california for me (laughs) you just gotta keep driving (laughs) okay there's some meaning to people who live in california and uh for those of us who don't route 80 oh yeah okay i got you route 80 through kansas you just gotta keep going 
Route 83 anywhere, pretty much. Yeah, really. That's kind of how it is. All right. Well, then, so let's let's uh, jump down a little bit. The the outcome from that scene is basically that Cersei goes to Tywin and says, "You know, we gotta watch these Tyrells." Mm. <laughs> oh, and by the way, why aren't you taking these more seriously? And he basically says, mm, "No." <laughs> yeah, real win for the for the patriarchy there. Yeah, she goes in there saying, "Well, Jamie's not here. Tyrion is an imp, and he's not a proper heir. Why aren't you taking me more seriously? Why am I not the the chosen one of your children?" And Tywin basically says, "Well, you squandered away. You 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 created a huge war. You lost control of your of your fourteen year old son or sixteen year old son or whatever. Like you lost control of the king after after empowering him." Um, and the entire thing, the whole situation is going on right now is your fault. So why would I give you any more than what I'm giving? And Cersei is this like her first family defeat. The first time her family stands up to her and really just knocks her back other than her slight jarring with, with Tyrion. Hmm. Um, now there's a whole lot of talk. Uh, uh, Tyrion is talking to Varys about like packages and how things are going about the, the about Littlefinger going up to uh, up to the Eyrie. Um, then you have Varys and Lady Tyrell are talking about Sansa, and that is a beautiful, beautiful, yeah. wonderful dialogue. The repartee that they have, and they're aware of the fact, like they are just blatantly kind of pushing each other's buttons mm. and seeing how far they can go with each other. And even before Varys gets in earshot, Lady Tyrell sees him coming and says, oh, look, a spider in the garden. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just wonderful, wonderful writing, wonderful dialogue. I thought this was a fantastic uh, exchange between these two. This is is a point where two masters meet each other and they're masters of different things. Um, Elena Tyrell is a master of manipulation, of, of getting people in the positions she wants them to be in. Whereas Varys is a master of finding out people's actual intentions and things that they have planned that they haven't told anybody. And they know that about each other. So when they talk to each other, it's, it's a mutual respect while still pushing each other harder than anyone else really can. And this is another situation where they're, they're, it's just they got the best writers to do the best dialogue they possibly could. And the both these actors, actors executed perfectly. Yeah. And also, like, it's a... These two talking really for the first time is hell of a long game. Hell of a long game. Oh, yeah. That's all. Oh, yeah. Um, Sansa and Marjorie, and then uh, this is Marjorie playing Sansa now about how she'll she'll end up marrying Loras Tyrell if uh, she stays around and then she'll be able to escape the Red Keep and she won't be under um, Cersei's thumb anymore. I thought that was this was an interesting... Because now you get to see Marjorie playing someone other than Joffrey. She's actually, you can see that she's just a natural at finding what people want and giving him the hope or the illusion of having that just enough to keep them in her fold and right where they right, 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 right where she wants them. Now, my question here is why would she want that? Why would she, why she would want Sansa Control to... Control of the North. Right. Sansa, oh. as, as it is right now, other than Rob, who's currently at war, Sansa is the Lady of the North. So if, if all goes goes around, then when Marjorie becomes queen, she now has the loyalty of the Lady of Winterfell. So just bringing one more of the kingdoms into her fold and, and preempting that ahead of time. Playing the very, very long game. Got it. Okay. All right. In, in fact, just kind of playing out exactly what Varys was talking about. Right. Got it. Okay, cool. Um, and then we're really just left with all the Daenerys stuff. Exactly. And there's a reason we haven't mentioned her very much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so this actually starts in episode three. We mm. didn't cover it then, but the, the, the story arc starts with her negotiating to buy this army. To get this army from whoever these mean slaveholding people are, mm. and Astaporians, it is, I guess. Yeah, is it Ast- Ast- 
yeah, I guess Astaporian would be the best because it's the city of Astapor, but they're never really. Yeah, there's lots of different people in it, but like the rich, the rich Astaporians. Yeah. This is masterful. This whole thing is masterful. Let me tell you, this sequence of scenes between these two episodes around Daenerys, I think, are my favorite like my my favorite thing that has happened in Game of Thrones thus mm-hmm. far. So it starts out with with Daenerys trying to negotiate through this translator Missandei with uh what what is that dude's name? Uh oh, dude, Kraken dude, von Kraken. Yeah, the dude that doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> she's she's negotiating with him on how to buy, you know, your ships only buy like one or this, you know, I'll give you another two for your people so you end up with like 73 he's doing math yeah he is doing math how how are you how are you gonna afford the other 700 or 7700 whatever because she wants all 8000 unsullied warriors these these perfect warriors that will never question you and they don't cry and they just do as they're told and there's some some debate and she eventually says well i'll give you you know I'll, i'll give you a dragon and that causes Mormont and Selmy to go ape shit uh they leave that scene and she immediately puts the, those two in their place you're here for your advice. Mm. Don't you ever talk back to me or question me in front of someone again. And that was like, okay, all right. Now you have to know at that point that she has a plan. She's got something going on. She's cooking something in her mind. And then she goes and tours and before, the city. Be, be, before we leave this, she gets the the bad guy to throw in the translator as part of the deal. Mm-hmm. Well, Yeah. Uh, they go around and she finds these people on these crucifixes, essentially, uh, for for little things such as stealing bread or talking back. And, you know, and she goes to give water to this one one guy that's up there and he says, just let me die. And she asked Missandei about it. Missandei says, well, in the afterlife, there are no masters. So mm-hmm. everyone here is a slave. And at some point, I think it's in, in the early part of it, she's told the story about how each of the uh, unsullied before they're given their, their status as an unsullied, they have to go into the market with a, a single coin and slay a baby in front of the mom. Then it's like, you kill the baby and you only, only pay back a, a coin. And they're like, no, the coin is for the master, not for the mother. So all of this is leading up to uh, Daenerys doesn't like slavery to begin with. She doesn't like that whole thing. She likes people to be there voluntarily. This is just building on her last nerve with all of this. And we get one awesome little sneak that there's more to this than what Daenerys is letting us in the audience know when the translator says something to her in her native tongue Mm. and Daenerys responds back in what we hear as English common. Yeah. Right from that, you know, something's going on (laughs) because Mr. Bad guy has been insulting her this entire time. And Daenerys has been reacting only through what she's hearing from the translator. Playing it out perfectly. It's a beautiful, beautiful dialogue going on, and she's just playing it out according to what she hears from a Sunday. And then it becomes, it gets things get real when they actually go to do the trade. Yes. The, the, the trade is lined up. They got the 8,000 Unsullied in formation, ready to go. She brings, they roll in a cage with one of the dragons. And of course, whatever, whatever dude wants the, uh, he wants the biggest dragon. Okay, fine. That works out in Danny's favor even. So she goes over and he, the, the bad guy, I say bad guy because he's just a jerk. So this, this, ma- <laughs> this, this jerk master goes over and he hands his baton over to D- Danny. And she says, so now that I have it, this is it, right? They are under my command. And he says, yes, completely. Whoever holds, holds the, the whip or whatever holds the power. And he's trying to control the dragon by holding on to the reign of the dragon. Um, he's basically <laughs> struggling with it the entire time. Um, Jenny, what happens after that? Uh, a double dragon double cross. <laughs> <laughs> a double do not dragon double 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 with cheese. <laughs> Danny... Faces the troops, holds the whip up high, and, sa- and basically announces her command. And they, you know, they do the little thump with their spears or whatever, acknowledging it. And she turns all the unsullied. She says, attack the masters. 
anyone with a, with a whip or whatever shall be, shall be slain. Oh, by the way, she's doing this now in the native tongue. Yes. And meanwhile, the bad guy is still so distracted because he's struggling with the dragon, trying to keep a hold of it. I'm having trouble over here, having trouble over here. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Did she just speak my language? Yeah. And he turns to her and she says just a single word. Dracarys. Now, Mr. Douchebag is up in flames while the dragon breathes fire down on him, burning him to nothing. He's a douchemellow. <laughs> and that would be enough for an amazing scene, but it gets better. Who wants to take us out? Not go ahead, me. Richard. Go ahead, Richard. <laughs> so now she has the dragons back. The bad guys are gone. The slave's masters are all killed. She turns to the slave army and she tells everybody they are free. And will you fight with me as free men? And it's deathly silent. You wonder, well, well, wait a minute. Like, don't they get it? Like, this is. And then you start hearing the thumping. Thump. Again. Thump. 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 So the whole army is behind her. Her her advisors are like, wow, she had this. She just impressed the crap out of us. She knew what she was doing. And with this wonderful symbolic moment, she throws the whip on the ground as they all march off together. Yeah, and the final scene is her marching out of Astapor, 8,000 unsullied behind her, dragons overhead, and her mar- her riding in the front with her advisors at her side. And fade to black. Oh my god, I love this scene. Yeah. (laughs) That's like, they make Daenerys really pay, I think, a lot for her learning. But then she learns, and it's like, yeah. Yeah, she, Richard, back when she was going through the desert and people were dying left and right, and she had heads being returned to her in, in, uh, in satchels on a, on an empty horse. You know, we we told you she's she has to go through the fire to to become stronger. She's she's got to do this, and and you're like, okay, well, she better. And now you're starting to see the fruit of that of all that that pain and that that suffering that she was going through. Yep, yeah, this was wonderful. This could have been a season finale. I I, I just mm-hmm. think the the way they played this off the emotional ride that it takes you on this kind of victorious moment could have been a finale it was just it was so so good and I, I think i said this earlier this is without a doubt my favorite scene in anything that i've seen so far in game of thrones mm-hmm. yeah you almost kind of had to think this should have been season two's finale but they maybe ran out of money or ran out of time or whatever else and decided to do it on the Blackwater. because um, this is such an impactful like th- this really starts the reign of daenerys targaryen this is her finally coming into her own and living up to her name. Mm-hmm. A little bit too much shadowing, foreshadowing there, but okay. <laughs> oh, no. The, she's not done with the trials and tribulations. I guarantee you that. <laughs> there's, there's plenty of twists between here and, uh, and where we're going to go for you not to, not to be spoiled on anything yet. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, Richard, um, overall impression of these two episodes and uh, how well they did as a pair. It was so perfect together as a pair. We are back into that uh, kind of paired off thing. I'm glad we are because one and two of the season were kind of frustrating to me. They felt like, okay, there's there's a lot we got to give you to get you up to speed for what we're going to do this season. And here are the two episodes where we're going to do that. And it didn't sink as well. I didn't think it was as interesting. And I am like, I I wanted to leave episode four and start episode five right away. And I had to hold myself back. Yeah. Uh, Jenny, uh, where, where does this, these, uh, the the events happening here rank on uh, your favorite moments of game of Thrones. So anytime Daenerys kicks some ass and, and, and is uh, unexpectedly awesome is a good scene for me. Um, anything that shows any developing relationship with Varys and anyone else, I really like. And almost everything else can go screw in, the, in these two episodes. Because I'm just like, they're good. <laughs> they were good the first time around. But like, I just, 
I don't feel the urgency that I feel like that we get into these stretches in between amazing opening sh- and amazing closing episodes where it's just like a British TV show would have done this in three episodes. Mm. You know, like like Sherlock, like Sherlock would have done three episodes and it would have been so economical with what's going on. And meanwhile, yeah. like the Brotherhood without decisions is just driving me <laughs> up a wall. Now I have to ask, so book two felt like the entire book could have been five chapters to me. Yes. And they're essentially following that trend with the second season and now the third season. They're kind of just, it's it's a lot of story building, but it's a lot of unnecessary junk in the middle as well. Yeah. To, it gives it gives the world life. Like it shows some of the background going on, but it just shows too much of it. Yeah, and it doesn't uh, it doesn't push the story forward quite fast enough. I agree. Uh, uh, and I believe season three is the last time that really happens. After that, it's pretty much. Is there someone in season four as well? Gray worm and Sunday. <laughs> Sorry, Richard, you didn't even know. That's not a spoiler because you didn't even know what I said. You couldn't even hear I what I said. I have no idea. No idea yeah. at all. I could just hum it. <laughs> also, those people who are in love with each other from that place that we never really understood and one of them got killed and blah, blah, blah. Like, mm. all of that is like takes too long. Mm. You know what I will agree. About. I will agree. Anyway, we'll come back next time with the... Uh, 305 and 306? Yes, indeed. 05 and 06. It's going to be a little while before we have some more major events, but I'm just glad Masande is finally part of the show because, Richard, you've had your eye candy for a while. It's about time I had mine. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And with that, we will catch you next time when we join forces together to lead our, uh, our Unsullied Beyond the Wall or something i don't know i'm trying to throw too many too many uh scenes together next time episodes 305 and 306 <laughs> as we talk about thrones C-O-I